All right, enough messing around. Can we please get down to business and start having fun? Okay, because fun isn't going to have itself. You got to force your way into it. You got to make and fun. That's, you got to make fun. If you ain't busy making fun, you're busy dying. Everybody makes their own fun. If you don't make your own fun, it's not fun. It's entertainment. Oh my gosh, that's it exactly. Boom. Any, any state maniacs out there? Ah, state maniacs. <laughs> oh, Russ, this, you're, you're on fire today. En fuego. Speaking of, the, today's episode was written by uh, the star. David of, uh, Mamet. That's right. <laughs> oh, well, David Mamet mad about you. Mm-hmm. Or Jamie manipulates <laughs> Paul. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jamie's just the worst. <laughs> we don't even see her. She's just the voice calling from the other room, <laughs> nagging and harping. Uh, are we talking about By the uh, way, David Mamet or Neil LeBute? Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not fair though. It's not fair. Their their plays are multifaceted. Sure. I'll give them some benefit of some doubts sometimes. I'll give enormous most of the time. Yes. Actually, by the way, all uh, of it you, all uh, the time. What? All of it all the time. You love these people unequivocally? No, I mean you can't love anyone unequivocally. Good. Well, that's what you just said. That's what all the time means. I know. I was speaking hyperbolically. <laughs> ah. I could definitely love people hyperbolically. Uh, <laughs> we're in the show now. Yes, that's, that's correct. <laughs> if Mad About You was a final frontier, we're traveling outside of time and space here. So let's break it down now. It's just what we do. It's Mad About, mad about You. Welcome to Mad About Mad About You, everybody. The Mad About You weekly recap podcast. I'm Russ Fader. I'm John Marbley. It is good to have you back. Rise guys, rise gals, hunters, huntresses, kindsmen and women. Yeah, the further we go with these, the more they start. They started, they used to sound contemporary and now they sound medieval. <laughs> yeah, they sound... Like every You're time right. we get a new one, it goes back in time. And I, quite frankly, yes. not a fan. Melilas. <laughs> That's for people who like Leela Kenzel and are also Milady. Melilas. Well, it sounds like Kensmen. Kens also good. Like Kensmen and Kenswomen. Sure. Which is also medieval. Kin. Kinsmen. You know. Let me ask you this. Okay. And I think I know the answer. Oh boy. Have you ever heard of a no. Hinkleburger? <laughs> Definitely not. My when I was a kid, hamburgers were also known as Hinkleburgers. And I don't know if that's something that my mom learned or something my mom made up or if it's a regional thing or if it's a family thing or if it's her being serious or if it's her being funny. I like how you can use the declarative statement. Back then, they used to call them Hinkleburgers. <laughs> and then just oh, say, to find I out. don't know anything that I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> they can mean almost nobody. Yeah, back then, yeah. my mother said this. <laughs> <laughs> Hinkleburger sounds like a nod to Hinkley. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's how that came up. That Wait, wasn't just serious? me. Well, that's how I'm talking about it right now. Yes, that's why I'm bringing it up because I wanted to call people. I wanted to call our listeners who are particularly fond of Tommy Hinkley Hinkleburgers. Oh, no, I was thinking uh, the guy who shot Lennon. That's John Hinkley. Yeah, I forgot about our Hinkley. Who <laughs> <laughs> so used to so kill those jokes. He'd assassinate those jokes every week. So you just thought that I was just, oh, let's talk about names for our listeners. Also, what about that guy who, uh, who shot Reagan? That was messed up, yeah, right? Yeah, well, Russ, I'm not going to lie. I had no idea what you were talking about when you were like, that's why I brought it up. 
I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. Well, we're all caught up now. Yeah, Tommy Hinckley. <laughs> My Hinkle Burgers. Well, we may just call people that regardless. Hinkle Burgers? Yeah, Rise Guys and Rise Gals is a thing of the past. <laughs> Everybody is a Hinkle Burger, period. Yeah, I'll go along with that for, for today. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get comfortable. <laughs> This is an evolving show. John, how are you? Are you well? No, I got a cold. How are you? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's okay. I got a cold and I spilled tea on my laptop. Oh, gosh. Did you put it in rice? <laughs> I was going to say, did you put rice in it? But that won't help anything. <laughs> yeah, it got married. I, I threw <laughs> rice on my laptop. <laughs> it's not a pigeon, is it? Is your laptop also a pigeon? Because that's very dangerous. Oh, God. It's going to explode during the podcast. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah. A pretty decent week. A little tired, but uh, happy the weekend is here. I was happy to see you. I saw a bunch of you the past couple of weeks. Yeah, it was nice to hang out. We saw Paul Reiser's new movie. Well, Lake mm-hmm. Bell's new movie featuring Paul Reiser. Right. Always delivers a five-star performance. No surprise He was there. wonderful. He was wonderful in I Do Until I Don't. And that's all we did, right? Oh, and then we had coffee once. We had coffee once, yeah. yeah. It was lovely. Yeah. Both were equally funny, and uh, one of them was a full-length feature movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what's going on? What do we have to do? We're going to talk about episode 29, right? Yeah, of season two, episode, episode 29, seven. Yeah, episode 29 of our podcast. The episode of Mad About You is called Natural History. Very interesting. Mm. Oh, very good play on words. I just got that. Is it a play on words or is it just a... Oh, well, you know, yes, well, it is. It is. Loosely, yeah. loosely. Yeah, I like it. I can see what you're saying. Is there history natural mm-hmm. or uh, fate Yes, in a sense? Natural yes. or predestined? Right. This is the episode of Mad About You that dives heavy into Calvinism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was written by, uh, oh, who? John Locke? John Calvin. John Calvin. <laughs> I get Locke and Calvin and Hobbes mixed up. I honestly don't recall John Locke's role in things, but I do know that Calvin was a pretty big guy in Calvinism. Oh, Calvin was they... huge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try, try and think of a bigger Calvinist than Calvin. <laughs> I dare you. Hey, you can't do hey, it. Hey, sweepstakes. <laughs> sweepstakes. Try and find, try and find to think of a bigger Calvin, Calvinist than John Calvin. Yeah, this is a good one. Winner gets this ten billion dollars. <laughs> oh man, gosh, that's funny. Tell me about TV Guide, please. What did TV Guide have to say about this episode? Uh, did we say when it aired? It aired November 4th. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. November 4th, 1993. Now, the description, you know, I didn't even think about it. I forgot we do that. I mean, I didn't forget we do it. I forgot I have an opinion on it. I don't have an opinion. It's okay. Sue me. You don't have to. It's a cold read. Go for it. A fight over time together drives Paul and Jamie apart, but luck or fate Brings them together. Why wouldn't you say brings them back together? (laughs) That's true. I was going to say they nailed it, but that's very true. Yeah, I don't like this, actually. This seems as though they're completely too disparate It's coy. It's fine. Be coy. I don't care. No, don't be coy. Well, (sighs) it's an important rule of improv. It's an important rule of TV Guide. It's a meta description, you know, because the whole... Yes, uh, spoiler alert, Paul and Jamie have a debate about luck versus fate. Yes. So the TV guide brings that out into the real world to ask us if luck or fate brings them together. But we're not a part of this universe that this debate's happening in. You know what I'm saying? That's true. It so exists, it's a meta description. It exists outside of a ourselves. A meta description. <laughs> uh, would you? 
I would subscribe to Meta TV Guide. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's an interesting test. I call this Schrodinger's TV Guide description, I think. I think this okay. is right. Okay, go it's for it. It's probably not. Can... Oh, okay, here it is. I don't remember what Schrodinger's cat is, but okay, just to hear, here it is. <laughs> That's when the cat is both alive and dead inside the box at the same time until it's observed. Oh, okay, well, it's not that, but we'll still it's call not it that. that. Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's TV okay. description. Can a TV Guide description be or make sense outside of the show as well as inside of the show? Like, could Ira say this sentence in the universe of Mad About You and have okay. it make sense? And I would argue that this description actually is even stronger that way. Absolutely. Yeah. It feels like it was written. Yeah. If this was a bumper on NBC and Ira was just like, hi, I'm cousin Ira. Tonight on Mad About You, here's what happens. <laughs> And he said it. You'd be like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, great right. writing, Ira." <laughs> you really get the this show. show. Next week, they were like, "Hey, Ira, what happened? How come they don't do recaps in the context of the show where they're just like, hey, Ira, you remember what happened last Saturday?'" <laughs> and he's like, "You want there to? Yeah, sure. You want there to be a yeah? And fight over time together. Drives Paul and Jamie apart, but luck of fate brings them together. Give me another <laughs> then, uh, nuts for nuts." <laughs> yeah. Then he mugs to the camera a little bit more. <laughs> Anyway, that's an interesting uh, theory. For sure. We're getting very it, existential uh, very early. Yeah, this is a philosophical episode. Let's keep going. <laughs> Let's do it. Russ, what was uh, what was not on TV? I'm joking. What was on TV? You're watching NBC. <laughs> well, it's interesting you put it that way because I'm going to talk about something that was not on TV that night because... That night, the things that were on TV were okay. This is the problem with doing with the show being on Thursdays is that the programming is pretty solid and it's both good and it is steady, basically. Yeah. So like, you know what I mean? Because it's a it's it's the comedy blocks and it's a strong yeah it's night of TV. shows through yeah it's musty TV on NBC and then it's also all the competition the shows. Yeah, all the competition. Yeah. So everything is reasonably good. Well, that's okay, Russ. We can talk about good things, too, you know? That's not how this works. <laughs> it doesn't all have to be a hate fest. But what I, what I did do, you remember how in our last episode, you pointed out that the previous week there was no episode? Yeah. And we were wondering what the deal was. If we there were was a on rerun. a break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes, I was wondering why they skipped a week. Yes, and I can't believe I didn't think about it at the time, but I looked into it, and on CBS that night, uh -huh. on the night of October 21st, uh -huh. was the 1993 World Series Game 5. I knew you were going to say that. Yep. Uh, it's October. October baseball. Wow. With the Cincinnati Reds. Not nope. at all. Nope. Nope. With try. The, you want to uh, try again? The San Diego Padres. Nah. Very no. nice. I didn't even believe that. The uh oh Toronto Blue Jays. Yes. Yes. And the Houston Astros. Nope. Nope. I don't know the other one. <laughs> think think colder. If you like this team, you might be a real fanatic for this. Oh, the Phillies. The Phillies. That's it. Philadelphia Phillies. Oh, the Phillies and the Blue Jays. Phillies Two and the Blue Jays. Old looking logos. Face off. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, with with a curvy letter fonts. <laughs> I feel like you a baseball fan at all, John? What do you think? Not so much. Not so much. I yeah. want to like it, but you know, I had baseball cards when I was a kid. Sure. So in that sense, sure. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't get care it. if I miss every game in the season. <laughs> I understand that there are plenty of fans like that. Yeah, but I'm glad it happens. 
the Mets were good a couple of years ago, and people got on I the remember. case of everybody. Like they were like, "Oh, here come all the bandwagon fans," and I'm like, "You idiots! Yeah, you this should is be how... so thrilled." Yeah, yep. we, we. You can't toil throughout decades of nobody coming or caring about your team, and then when they get good enough for anybody to care and come, to be like, "Oh, look at all these new fans!" I agree. Pick, pick one. Yes. Good for you, Russ. Yeah. The good news is the Mets are terrible again now. So it's no longer an issue. Right. The bandwagon has closed up shop and we're back to just having diehards paying attention. And frankly, not even all of the diehards are paying attention. Well, that's a relief. But more important than that, the Mets were not involved in the 1993 World Series. In game five, which was on that night, the Phillies beat the Blue Jays 2-0. Oh, whoa. Who was, who mm-hmm. was, what happened? Did they go to game six or was that the end? It, it went to game six. Is, yeah, the the Phillies brought uh, the Phillies by winning Game Five. They made it a three, three games to three games to yeah, two. Okay, okay. Yeah, they were they were three games to two. With the Blue Jays had the lead, so Blue Jays were leading the series three games to two at the end of Game Five Ooh, after baby. they won. Yeah, Kurt Schilling was the winning pitcher. Oh yeah, Kurt Schilling. Yeah. Famous uh, jerk, Kurt Schilling, who was a, a baseball hero and also has not kind things to say about many, many people and immigrants and religious sects. And he's a big jerk. Wow. I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. He lost it. He got fired from ESPN because of it. Recently? Um, a few years ago. Like in the last 20 years? Yes. Okay. That's recent. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, in the last... For the purposes of this podcast, super recent. That's, you know what? That's very true. That's very, very true. Uh, oh, after 1997? <laughs> <laughs> so that was game five, and then game six took place on Saturday, 23rd. Aha, okay. And that game, the Phillies were leading in the ninth inning, and then Mitch Williams came in to pitch. Does the name Mitch Williams mean anything to you? Oh, absolutely. He's a great uh, Blue Jays pitcher. Nope. Phillies pitcher. (laughs) He was the closer, and he wore number 99. I used the term closer. (laughs) That's how little I know about baseball. I got excited by the fact I used the term. I used the term closer (laughs) in the last episode. (laughs) You remember? I don't. Were you talking about coffee? No, we were talking about baseball. Cool. I was rattling off statistics. Yes, that's right. Yes, and, and said, closer was one you pulled out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, then you would love Mitch Williams. He, he wore number. He wore number ninety nine. He came out to wild, just thing. like Agent ninety nine. But yes, just like just like Barbara Feldman. <laughs> he wanted to be like From her. The spy who loved me. Yep. <laughs> It was an homage to um, Charlie Sheen and Rick Vaughn from Major League. The oh, number and the hair and the theme song. And he was also the crazy closer, just like Ricky Vaughn was. Sure. And so in the ninth, he came in to pitch and he was up against Joe Carter. Oh, gosh. Cu- couple of men on base, bottom of the ninth uh, inning. Yeah, yeah. All How do you get anything past Joe Carter? You don't. Joe Carter hits Whammo. a three-run home run. Oh, great slam. And no, three-run homer. Uh, and okay. uh, <laughs> it was good enough to win the World uh, Series. Okay. <laughs> so, so still pretty good. Yeah, you know, it would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, I've got a few notes. Let me let me punch up your uh, the biggest swing of your life for you. That's amazing. It was pretty cool. I remember so they, watching it. There was no I was game in, seven. There was no game seven. I was in Philly for a friend's bar mitzvah. Uh, and... Uh, 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 People were sad. 
teenage breasts would travel for bar mitzvahs? With my family. <laughs> uh, it's bar mitzvah season. <laughs> I don't know why all my friends are turning 13 at the same time. <laughs> How do you think I feel? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should be 13 by now. <laughs> This is this is costing me a fortune. I'm getting, plus I'm getting such grief from everybody else in my family. <laughs> so Russ, what are you gonna turn thirteen? Oh my God, I don't know. I don't know. I'll do it when I'm ready. <laughs> oh my gosh. So oh, if you or anybody else is so inclined, a big so Mitch Williams was a big personality on that team, and so was Lenny Dystra. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Lenny Dykstra is also a very bad guy. He was okay. an 86 Met. I used to love him. He's done time in jail because he's a, a crooked businessman and, <laughs> and uh, also just a bad person. Uh, just a few days ago, he and uh, Lena Dunham had a bit of a back and forth on Twitter, and it was weird. Uh, what else is new? Yes. And so there's some footage on YouTube of the two of them. I think they were at a roast of like a fellow Phillies. It may have been the roast of like Darren Dalton or somebody, a fellow Phillies player. And they just start. They are drunk. Dunham? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lenny Dykstra and Mitch Williams are at this. Oh, roast. Oh, OK. And they just start yelling at each other about how the other one sucks. <laughs> and they are. Now, I bet. Yeah, and they are vulgar, and they are petty, and, like, it's a room full of paying customers, and it starts off, and they're like, ha, 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 and then they just start booing. They're like, come on, you guys. This is ridiculous. Oh, my. I can't. Yeah. This I'll watch. Yeah, check it out. It's fun. Okay. <laughs> what happened in the news, please? From WNBC-TV, this is News 4 New York with Chuck Scarborough. And Pat Harper. Dateline. Dateline. Go ahead. A gang of ghosts ready to rumble by William A gang of ghosts ready to rumble. A gang of ghosts ready to rumble. A gang of ghosts ready to rumble. Nobody likes that is funny, but nobody likes that voice. That that like I don't even know what it is, but it is that drama tongue twister tone. You know what I mean? That drama tongue twister tone. Yeah, it's like so atonal and focused. A yes. tonal and focused. A tonal and focused. focused yeah, that's what atonal. it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Health. Uh, so you say that he- your ASMR is old Jews talking. Uh-huh. Hell for me. Hell for me is actors warming up forever. <laughs> <laughs> you just walk into a room and it's twenty people going. <laughs> I kind of love it. Yeah, that old warm up. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> Halloween is New York's most problematic holiday. For most of America, October 31st offers a thrilling opportunity to pry the lid off of the underworld and unleash for a few hours the forces of darkness and chaos. Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) 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 New York has too much of the terror and chaos thing already. In fact... The city may need its own version of Halloween, in which the hordes of average people with healthy complexions and slightly out-of-date clothes go door-to-door and act polite. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfectly understandable that a city that has 2,000 homicides every year might not pay sufficient attention to its rich, scary heritage, but it's a shame nonetheless. New York is one of America's premier ghost towns. A favored, a favored haunt for several centuries worth of restless spirits. Okay, so it's a story about all the ghosts 
that haunt New York. So you're... <laughs> You got pretty heavy into the setup, and now you're just kind of breezing through. Yeah, so there are a lot of there are a lot of undead spirits that haunt everywhere in the city. Blah blah blah. Here's one. Yes, terror stalks this tiny patch of urban turf. Oh, the tale of the Vandervoot sisters. Have you heard of them, Vandervoot? Um, maybe. You know, it's funny. I bet every single thing I mention on here is something that former guest of the podcast Leah would have heard of. Oh, yeah? Because she knows she has like an encyclopedic knowledge of New York history. Cool. Oh, the, so this is the number one ghost street. The tale of the Vandervoot sisters has been part of New York folklore for generations, but the most haunted spot in Manhattan. Vandervoot sisters. Vandervoot sisters. Did you sisters. hear me? Sorry. The most yes, haunted spot in Manhattan is to be founded for everyone. Write this down and then go. <laughs> 420. Oh, 420. All right. <laughs> yeah. West, We're all going to go. West 46th Street. <laughs> I thought you were going to say West 69th Street. Keep talking. Yeah, you wish. <laughs> you wish. Never. <laughs> 420 West 46th Street, where a tiny courtyard and stables are visible through an iron gate. Secluded and quiet, Clinton Court looks the way a haunted spot should look. Yes, blah, 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 blah. Yes, Terra stocks this tiny patch of urban turf. Long ago, mutinous sailor known as Old Moore was hanging in the courtyard, and before long, his ghost appeared to the wife of the resident family's coachman. She fell several flights of stairs, sustaining mortal injuries. The wife joined Old Moore on nightly patrol, and the legend of the courtyard grew. For years, the family's grandchildren impersonated ghosts as a game until an apparition rose up one evening and frightened one of them so badly that she, too, took a tumble down the stairs, thereby adding another ghost to the already crowded courtyard, which this isn't funny, but it's also hilarious. Oh, I just want, I want it to happen all the time. No, I know. <laughs> I went there to be hundreds of years of ghosts scaring people at the tops of stairs and then falling <laughs> and then down the stairs down. <laughs> and then just repeat. Yeah. And then they being like, what happened? And then the ghosts that are already ghosts, like rolling on the floor. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at the street view. I can't. Oh yeah. You can still kind of see it. Anyway, it's probably a fortune to live there now, but uh, I would be careful of those steps if I were you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I don't oh know if you God. know about this, but uh, the Belasco Theater is haunted. Have you heard about this? Did you guys I have hear not. about this? <laughs> uh, what else in the news? Uh, the Belasco Theater. <laughs> uh, the, it's Monday. You know what that means. It's time for uh, Broadway Theater uh, hauntings. Uh, broad, broad, Broadway's dark on Mondays. Uh, speaking of dark theater, <laughs> you ever heard of the Belasco? Have you heard about this, though? I don't think so, no. It's kind of old, famous uh, New York lore. But uh, David Belasco, so the Belasco Theater is at 111 through 121 West 44th Street in Manhattan. And David Belasco, the owner of the theater, remains restless. In life, he maintained a secret apartment atop the theater which, in which he would entertain special female guests, ascending by means of a private elevator. The elevator has long since been dismantled, but late at night, the squeak and whir of elevator cables can be heard, as well as the clump clump of footsteps in the apartment. Creepy. There's uh, there's a lot of ghosts around town. I guess so. So Ugh. watch your back, and you know who to call. <laughs> the Ghostbusters. Oh. <laughs> Dateline. Wait, you don't mean those girls, do you? <laughs> no, thank myself. you. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> 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 Go ahead.
in Times Square, turning profits from gin mills. Douglas Martin, October 30th for this Halloween night at 9 a.m. at Rudy's Bar. You know Rudy's, right, Russ? I do. With the pig outside, Mm -hmm. free hot dogs? Yeah, I've been to Rudy's, yeah. Ernest Schroeder sits on a stool counting money. There are many $100 bills, rolls and rolls of quarters, and everything in between. The cash, around 12 grand, represents the weekend take from his four Times Square's bars. Times Square bars. So this guy's got 12 grand, and he's talking about the rolls of quarters? You are not paying attention to the right thing. (laughs) Yeah, if you're counting your money, and you got 12 grand, and you're looking at the quarters, you're not counting your money right. (laughs) Uh, You know what? This story's boring. Okay. It just talks about his business. That's fine. We got that sweet, sweet roll of quarters goof in. So we can we can call that one a win. He's interesting, okay? But I, I can't read the whole story. So maybe we'll tweet it and you all can read it. It's like a biography. Russ, it's basically the biography of a barkeep in, in Manhattan, you know? Okay, sure. Great. So he had four different bars, right? Two of them are still active because mm-hmm. he got Rudy's. He's got Holland Bar. He's got the Savoy, which was a gay bar, and Full Moon Saloon. It's very funny because you've already, you blah, blah, blah this so hard. I don't know what you could do. To like, bring it back. What, yeah, like if you were just like, yeah, so he was, uh, he was a bartender, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and then it turns out that he became an Apollo astronaut. And uh, that's what the story's like. And okay. it's like, I can't read the whole thing. <laughs> I would, yeah, I wouldn't care about the parts that it, where he goes to the moon because apparently he's a boring barkey. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. It's just too much. It's too much. It's like the story <laughs> of this guy. Listen to his schedule. He rises at 3.30 a.m. so he can be around each bar just after the 4 a.m. closing and handle the money. Then he takes a oh, nap geez. before 8 a.m. when they open. Then he prowls his empire, starting with the full moon, which has a 50-foot-long bar, flashing red... Uh, who cares? Okay, next, Dateline. Go ahead. About New York, expect a blushing bride and a breathless groom. Okay. The way Tom Young and Pam Kizios figure it, when they get married in two weeks, in the middle of running the New York City Marathon, it should cost them about 10 or 12 minutes, but will be worth it. Don't tell me you remember this, Russ. No, I don't. I wonder I'm, if our good my, friend Gary does. I wonder, too. The running rover of Midtown. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they call him, I guess. <laughs> Think of what we'll have to tell our children, said Miss Kizios, a 31-year-old legal secretary. While she and her fiancé were visiting here from Chicago to scout the route, find a minister, pick up some wedding gear, and go through a wedding rehearsal. Blah, 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 blah. We don't have great delicatessens in Chicago like you have here. Hell yeah. <laughs> I thought that, <laughs> I thought that you were going to... I thought that that was a direct quote. I thought that you were going to say that that was like a conversation where you were like, we don't have great delicatessens like you have here. Hell yeah, said his fiance. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, blah, blah, blah. They got together. Their romance is because they're both really into fitness, obviously. <laughs> sure. <laughs> She's done four marathons. Her best time is three hours and five seconds. That puts her wow. about in the top half of 1% of women marathoners. And his best yeah. is two hours, Holy 44 moly. seconds, which is also crazy, right? Two hours, 44 yeah, seconds. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Wow, yeah. Yes, that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, I could, I could be wrong. I think Gary finished a marathon once in two hours and 45 minutes. I think that's right. I, how I do we remember that? I think we're both well, right. Well, I remember because I wouldn't stop I told talking a, about it. Well, I told a joke about it in stand up. Oh. Because, because at first, I thought that 
he ran it. I was blown away because I was like, he ran it in three hours, 45 minutes. <laughs> I remember this. Which is unbelievable, yeah. I think. And then he's like, no, it was two hours and 45 minutes. I'm like, well, that is crazy unbelievable. And also, I'm sorry that I added a full hour to your time. <laughs> That's not okay to do with a marathon runner. It's okay, Russ. It was for what, eight people in a basement? <laughs> Something like that. Probably. And then I'm also just like, I think it's amazing to do that in two hours and 45 minutes. If you were to go with Gary to go and see Titanic and sit down, he'd be like, okay, I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go around 26 miles. Yeah. You're like, I'll be back uh, before the thing is completely sunk. You're like, no way. No. <laughs> you're like, oh, wait, don't come on. That's how it ends. I'm sorry. That's, okay. Yeah, I got very mad at yeah. him. About it. <laughs> Uh, it seems fit to be fitting in several, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Miss Kizio said the hard part was to convince her family. I'm an only daughter from a Greek family. Oh, this is what my big fat Greek wedding could have been about. Ooh. I think they were hoping for something more traditional, a white gown in Chicago instead of running shorts in Brooklyn. But eventually they were hung, they were won over, not hung over. After that, everything <laughs> was just logistics. At first, we imagined ourselves exchanging vows as a minister ran with us, said Miss Kizios. They gave up on this and instead found the Reverend George A. Robinson, blah, 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 who will marry them standing still under the awning of the Brooklyn Academy of Music, roughly a third hey. of the way into the race. Earlier Damn, this year, that's great. this is like a real stunt minister they hired. Earlier this year, Clearly. the minister, a former runner, married a couple on a roller coaster, <laughs> which was chosen... <laughs> I love this, which was chosen to symbolize the ups and downs of courtship. Yeah. You can just yeah. talk about that. Definitely not because you guys wanted to get married on a roller yeah. coaster. Yeah. You think that was a conversation that they had <laughs> when they were just like, oh, you know, marriage is just full of ups and downs. How can we illustrate that <laughs> in our wedding uh, ceremony? There's just no way. Uh, we could do a roller coaster, but neither one of us really is into those or wants to do that. <laughs> No, I guess we have to. Yeah. It's important to us to show this. <laughs> the marathon organizers have given permission for Tom and Pam and their two bridesmaids and two best men to start out together. Oh, because normally men and women start in different places. That's true. Right. John, I can't, like, am I wrong that th the fact that this isn't happening as they run completely destroys the magic for me? Yeah, you are because wrong. Because I'm like, now you're just running to a wedding. You're not wrong. Actually, uh, it is there the family. Okay, so they're doing it a mile eight, which is symbolic. I don't know why, and I don't care. Is there their family members and friends will be waiting with the minister in a band? And a band! So I, I thought I'm in a wedding you, band. No. I'll tell you what, John. You tip that mile eight marker on its side. What do you got? Infinity. You got infinity. Oh, which is marriage. Symbolism. Ah, uh, yes. Rings, mm -hmm. vows, kisses will be exchanged. And then the bride and groom and their four close friends will run off. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I can't imagine. I can't imagine getting married and then running 18 more miles. I wonder if they were like, babe, marriage is like infinity. You know, when you get married, you're married for, together forever. I wonder, I wish that there was some way that we could symbolize infinity in our wedding ceremony. Well, we could do it at the eighth mile of a marathon, but neither one of us likes healthy stuff, so... Yeah, but we got to. I guess we That's have to. That's a great to. idea. That's the only one. You That's the only way to do have. this. Good delis. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, that's all the news. Those are some good New York stories. I love them. Those are great. Uh, oh, oh Dateline. Gosh. I'm not even going to read the story. I'm just going to read the headline because it's good. Don't even do the beat. Dude. A step up in the shoe shine business. 
New chairs outside Grand Central are welcomed by some, but not all, shiners. <laughs> My what? interest is fully peaked. We don't got time. <laughs> Moving on. Y'all can read oh, it this gosh. week if you want. We'll tweet it. I haven't even read it, to be honest. Otherwise, I would have gone into great. it. I don't know what it says. <laughs> but doesn't that sound good? Yeah, for sure. That's great. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. Oh, oh also, oh, oh, Giuliani whoa. was elected. <laughs> hey. Okay. Election, he beat Dinkins. The incumbent. I remember firsthand watching his inauguration. Do you know anything about that? No. His son stood behind him as he was swearing, as he was being sworn in. And his son, I think he may have also had his hand raised uh-huh. and just like said everything that his dad said. Basically, so also funny. swearing. It's so awkward. The kid and became weird. mayor. Basically. I remember, <laughs> I remember. The city was I like, we have being... to impeach him first so that we can elect <laughs> the right guy. I remember being 11 and being like, that kid's obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> it was never cute to me. Some people it. were just like, oh, look, he's being cute. He's doing it too. I wonder what he is. And I was just like, no. What's he doing now? His son? I don't recall. I don't yeah, know he's what he's not doing famous. Now. Andrew Giuliani. There Andy. was something with him. Something. He was in the news semi-recently. I can't remember why. Um, and not not semi-recently, years ago, but uh, this wasn't the last we heard. Sometime between 1997 and now. Yes. Fairly recently. Just before Kurt Schilling was fired from ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into this thing. Let's do it. Natural history. Here we go. Uh, written by Steve Paymer, as we mentioned, our hero. Mm-hmm. And uh, directed by Mr. Tommy Schlamy. It's a T.S. Eliot episode. Woohoo! Mr. T.S. T.S. Eliot, good... a.k.a. Cats, a.k.a. the... Catsman, the Catsman, aka Tommy Schlavi, aka <laughs> Thomas the Schlavi. <laughs> oh gosh! So cold open. They are napping or sleeping on the couch. They have fallen asleep. Yeah, Jamie's on top. Mm-hmm. And Paul's Paul's wide awake. She's snoring. Paul's awake. Yes. And um, she he just out of reach. He sees a a dessert. Yeah. What is that dessert? I don't know. It looks, it looks like maybe crazy. It's like a cake, but also a Napoleon. Yeah, it looks it like may a, Napoleon have been a Napoleon cake. Yeah. Because it's definitely a circle. Yes. And it's half eaten. And it's yes. sitting on a doily. Yes. And there's no plates or re- silverware anywhere. Right. He's reaching for it with his bare hand. Yeah, like he's just going to pick up the frosting-covered flaky crust and shove it <laughs> in his mouth on the couch. I said to Jen, I was just like, oh, he's reaching for a sandwich. And she's just like, that's a dessert. And I was like, what is going on? Well, Russ, the fact that you looked at that and thought it was a sandwich is well, pretty insane. I, I know it is. <laughs> but also, look. I'm not saying that it looked like a sandwich. I'm saying I told my mind that it had to be a sandwich because why else would somebody reach for it? By the idea of him eating it with his hands, I couldn't make I I couldn't rationalize it. Uh, It's also a (laughs) weird shot. It is. We get a yes. We get a we get a dessert eye view. Yeah, it's like it's yeah right. It's like just past the dessert from a low angle with Paul out of focus in the foreground. I mean in the background. In and the background, in the yeah. foreground and focus. And I yeah. don't know if this is true, but this very much reminded me of Citizen Kane. <laughs> no, really. I feel I feel like there's a Citizen Kane shot that's like famous that's like this. Maybe? Like with a low I angle do- and with the character like out of focus yes. in the background. Okay. And yes. like either well, there a food was that- or a drink. I don't know. I don't recall the food or the drink, but I me know. Me neither. 
<laughs> there was the shot in uh they talk about it in what was it RKO 281 have you seen that movie oh RKO 281's what well you know what I we all was really good RKO 280 <laughs> sure 281 I you know yeah no you like the original yeah yeah <laughs> I like the first 280. I didn't like 281. <laughs> you know what, though? 282 maybe the best. Back at it. Yeah. They really hit their stride. Uh, no, I have not seen it. Sounds... Do you know what it's about? I'm going to guess it's some old, dumb science fiction thing that's like a throwback kind of movie. No, it's an HBO movie starring Leo Schreiber as Orson oh, Welles about, about the, the creation of uh, yeah. Citizen Kane. And oh, yeah, there was. That sounds. Yeah. Yeah, you would love this movie so much. Like, this movie was made for you. You'd lose your mind. Oh, I stand corrected. So put it away. <laughs> Boy, I shouldn't be allowed to ever watch this movie now. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> but yeah, in that movie, they talk about how Orson Welles, like, I think he drilled a hole in the floor of a room that they were shooting in uh -huh. in order to get the low angle shot and keep things in focus properly. Uh -huh. So where he was like, I want the I want the camera on the ground, but I want it to be below the ground. They were like, you can't do it. And he's like, we're going to how's my Orson Welles, by the way. We're going to make a hole. Not great. Not the best. <laughs> make, a hole. make a hole. He sounds like an idiot. Because yeah. <laughs> he repeated, we're gonna. I don't know what we're gonna do. We're gonna make a hole. We're gonna make a hole. Okay. We'll make a hole. You put a camera in the hole, and then we're rolling. Yeah. Action. The, my young Orson Welles sounds a lot like very old Orson Welles, or maybe even dead Orson Welles. Uh, he was never young. Uh, mega holes. Okay. So, so maybe they did that is, for this. Yes. This is all to say, yeah. I think they probably made a hole in the floor of the Mad About You set in order to get the dessert eye view shot of the cold open. That sounds good to me. So then, scene one. Fran is over, and Jamie is on the phone with Lisa, who she is fixing up on a date. Oh, we didn't even say the funny part of this cold open. Oh, that's right. I forgot the joke. Paul rolls off the couch. Yeah. And Jamie says immediately, don't eat that. Yeah. Uh, Pretty fun. These spouses, they got eyes in the back of their heads, Russ. <laughs> You're not wrong. That's what I always say. You say that all the time. <laughs> so now Fran is over, and now Jamie is fixing up Lisa on the phone. And Paul is storming around the apartment. He's very, very angry. Yeah, we don't see him like this often. No, He's upset. I don't think I don't think we have yet. Yeah, yeah. He, is, he is upset with her. Or he is upset. That's all we know. And then we find out why. All right, I will see you when you get here. Hurry up. Goodbye. Okay, I get it. You're mad. Okay, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Not you. You. What? It's not okay. You're upset because I'm doing something nice for my sister? One, you're not doing anything nice for her. You're just setting her up for another disaster. And B, do it another day. I can't believe how selfish you are. Well, believe it because that's true. She could marry this guy. Never going to happen, my friend. Yeah, he's mad because she's fixing Lisa up on his day off. Well, yeah, it's like she's got... So, hey, this was surprising. She placed a personal ad for Lisa. Mm -hmm. And because it's a personal ad, she's like, I need to go with Lisa. Right. Just in case the guy's a psycho. Right. Which I, I get, though. But yeah, it's on his day off. Yeah. The first day hoping... off, the first Saturday he's had off and since he started production for Night in New York or whatever. It's night in New York, yeah. New York yeah, at night. New York true. at night. New York at Yeah, I was like, I don't think that's it. Yeah, it's not night in New York. Yeah. That sounds crazy. Yeah, it sounds New stupid. York at yeah, night. That's right. a documentary. <laughs> So this conversation that they have has a couple of big-ish moments, I thought. Uh-huh. I could be wrong. Okay. But. I'll tell you. <laughs> things, that, things that turn into, I don't recall these happening earlier. Okay. And they happen a lot after, I think. 
we get the first of Paul Reiser's list gags, which is to say he'll make a list and he'll say, let me tell you a few reasons why this is a bad idea. One, I don't like it. And B, you haven't thought it out fully. Where he'll do one and B, that sort of this thing. This is the first one I don't feel, I feel like he's done this at least once. Has he? I don't recall. If he has, it's been real subtle. This is the first no, one that I can remember. I don't remember. think it was subtle. I think we're just starting to forget because it's been too many. Could be. Because I, I feel be like true? I remember writing down the one and then B in my notes oh, yeah? like a year like whatever a season ago right huh but you're saying this happens a lot going forward this does happen a I lot don't remember. Yes, this is, I can't wait this I is, love that pattern. yes this is classic Paul Reiser and then the second thing that happens, I think, I know it's a runner in this episode, but I think oh, it continues it forever. Forever. Is Paul saying, never going to happen, never my friend. Never going to happen, my friend. They say that. That is my anthem. Yeah. That is so absolutely. deeply ingrained in me. I mean, that <laughs> quote is why we're doing the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. Why I'm doing it. Yeah. It was very confusing because I said to you, I was like, John, how would you like to do a Mad About You podcast? And you said, never, never going to happen, my friend. my friend, which means absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you threw me. You uh, threw me for a loop. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So Jamie says that. Uh, oh, you know, Jamie had said, you thought you might not have to work, but yeah. you never confirmed. Right. To which Paul replies, what are you, TWA? Yeah, which I love. But also she's right. Because he didn't say I'm off Saturday. He said, I don't think I have work Saturday. Yes. Which that's pretty broad. And she didn't even I, book the whole day. She's booked till three o'clock. I have been in that situation. And I've been like, I have been in the wrong in those situations where I've been like, I said that I might have to. Or I'm, I said I might have the day available. That means that you should just keep that whole day available until I tell you otherwise, which that's a monstrous way to be. Well, yeah, that is insane. not okay. Yeah, it is not nice and it is not fair. No, it's not. But to be fair, Jay, you know, Jamie's, uh, she, I get it. She's trying to fix her sister up. Sure. You know? Yeah. And it's yeah. down at three. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, pl there's plenty of time. There's plenty. There's time enough for everybody to be able to do everything. Yeah. Paul doesn't Everybody's... want to wait around till three. But at the same time, these people wake up so early. That's that's true. I mean, even on the they weekend. They pack a the lot of day into around, their days. Yeah. They're out of bed by like eight. Yeah. On a day sure. to sleep in. I'm like, sleep in, you guys. Come on. Yeah. That'll be an episode. <laughs> Paul says he's going to hang with Ira. And Jamie says, you know, I... Paul, I think you should wait. And Paul again says, never going to happen, my friend. And Jamie says, what is this, your new thing? Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, for it's her to funny. call him out on it. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like if Cousin Larry was like, why do you take everything? Why, do you, why are you constantly calling me ridiculous? <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, not being Steve ridiculous. Urkel. I'd be perfectly sane. Steve Urkel, we don't have cheese. Why do you say <laughs> it like that? <laughs> we never have cheese. You... You don't say any of your other words as long as you say cheat. Well, that's not true. You also say, did I do that? Very long. Yeah, Russ, you <laughs> he went with the B you know side what? on Urkel. <laughs> I'm starting to talk my way into this. You went with the B side. What are you saying? Cheese? The way he yeah. says cheese? Yeah, got any cheese? Just like that. That's my great Steve Urkel impression. Hey, you got any cheese? <laughs> <laughs> of course, in the lesser known, hey, did I do that? Hey, did I do that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hello, this is uh, your second. Hi, uh, my name is Orson Welles. Let me show you my Steve Urkel impression. <laughs> do you have any cheese? Uh... So, <laughs> so, Jamie, they then start to talk about how they got together. And 
whether or not they are fated to be together. This yeah. is the first instance of them bringing that up. Yeah, Paymer does a nice job of somehow parlaying this argument into the theme of the episode. Yeah, he does. Yeah, like you don't even notice it happening, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh. Oh, we're getting somewhere, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, they Jamie he, they, believes they plant it early, and it They plant it early, and it really... Uh, they sure do. It, it really grows. <laughs> Fran crosses very quickly in the middle of this argument because she has to pee. Yeah. And Jen realized, and she's right, the only bathroom... In the apartment. Oh, is in their bedroom. Is in their bedroom. That's true. If people want to use the bathroom, they have to go through their bedroom. I mean, that's most apartments in New York, I feel like. In my experience. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I can think of... Well, you know what? New no, York's... I haven't, common, I think. I haven't been in a lot of Manhattan bedrooms. Or Manhattan... Uh, yeah, that's yeah, true. Manhattan you're, a Brooklyn, you're a Brooklyn boy. I am. You're a... What's your I name? Am. Brooklyn boy. I'm Adam Arkin over here. No, no, no. What's... Is he from... Uh, oh, am I... The Donald Margulies play? Yep. Really? Yep. He was in the Donald Margulies play, Brooklyn Boy. Yeah, Brooklyn Boy. I was thinking yeah. of uh, who's that? Uh, I'm going to sound like such a what we pretend to be on this podcast. Who's the girl? She sings the songs. Not Lena oh, Dunham. Boy. You know, she sings that Brooklyn Boy song. Brooklyn, Lena. Um, you know, she's English, but you didn't know she was English. Oh, gosh. Sweepstakes. If anyone knows what the hell yeah. I'm talking about. <laughs> I hope someone does. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you know, it might not. <laughs> Brooklyn boy. It might not, be a thing. might not even be the name of this song. <laughs> oh, Brooklyn Baby. Who sings Brooklyn Baby? Oh, that I don't know. I just I also Brooklyn don't know. Baby. I don't know. Feel free Come to look on. it up. Look it up as I'm talking about it. I other am. <laughs> Lana Del Rey. Lana Del Rey. Okay. Great. Good job. Thank you. Yeah, I don't I don't know. By the way, I that's the most up-to-date reference that any of us have ever made yes, on this show. That is true. And I'm not that positive, but it's probably what five years old at this point. Oh gosh, are you kidding me? I'm just assuming. We have no idea. <laughs> it was sometime, sometime between Larry Crown coming out and right now. <laughs> That's how we mark time, <laughs> Larry Crown. Pre LC and post LC. <laughs> Both, funnily enough, PLC. Okay, great. So yes, yeah, so again. Paul believes that Jamie and he met because of luck, whereas Jamie thinks it is fate, and they start to get angry so, at each other about it, and he leaves in a huff. Because you needed a newspaper. You went out to get a newspaper, and that's where I was. So, bing, we met. So it was just luck. It was just dumb, stupid luck. Yes, yes. What, is that so bad? So if it hadn't been me, it just would have been, what, somebody else? Probably, yes. Who? I don't know. But I guarantee you, she wouldn't have made plans with her sister today. You know what? So Jamie's a Calvinist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We know this about her. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what struck me about this, and I don't care because it's a funny sitcom, but it's it, this is such a big like conversation to have, and she's so sort of put off by the whole topic, by them not being on the same page, that it's surprising it took this long in their relationship for this to come up. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is um, and over so little, where it's just like, oh, well, uh, well she so says little, later, the it's basis not about of their this, entire but... relationship, Russ. No, but it's it, the fact that it, it came up in conversation over so oh, little. Oh, well, that's how they always, you know. They do. It's you know true. what they say about marriage? Wrong. Minefield. Minefield. They say, they do, they say that. Marriage, minefield. <laughs> Minefield marriage. <laughs> so Paul leaves in a huff to go and be with Ira. Fran comes out and she's crying after this fight between Paul and Jamie. And Fran sees it and says, I miss being married. Loved that. Very sweet. I miss Richard and Kind. Me 
too, man. Yeah. Gosh. I forgot we how gotta... quickly he leaves the show, and I honestly still have no idea when he comes back. Oh, we got to get him back. Yeah, we got to start writing. We got to get we gotta... back. I'm mad about you. We got to start writing letters or something. I don't yeah, know what we got to do. NBC. Bring, bring <laughs> Richard Kide back. I'm mad about you. <laughs> so they go to Riffs, Ira and Paul do, and they are talking, and Ira, they're just going to kind of going back and forth about the situation with Paul and Jamie. And Ira, first of all, Ira calls him a Pez head. That, what, I love that term so, I never heard that in my life. Me neither, it's great. Uh, I really like it a lot. It's one of the reasons you love Ira. Sure. And it makes you wonder who in the writer's room is throwing out these little Ira things that no one's ever heard of. Because <laughs> there's another one later <laughs> in the episode, and I feel like it's got to be the same guy. I feel like Steve Paymer probably writes him very well. Oh, I could be that could be. Projecting. Yeah. Just like this old Brooklyn. Yeah. You Pez head. Yeah. You Pez head. And Ira vents a little bit and kind of gives a little mini thesis statement on what he is. Thesis statement's the wrong word. But, but yeah. his function, his function right. in the relationship of Paul and Jamie, where he says, you Pez head, you suck me in. <laughs> I get mad at your wife. You get me all mad until I say something. You two make up, and then who's the bad guy? Uh, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. That is what happens. I want to see this episode. Sp I wanted them to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead this right. thing. I want to see how Ira feels about this. That's true. You're right. He's becoming self-aware as a character in this series. Yes. Tom Stoppard wrote this episode. That's very interesting. That's why it's so philosophical. <laughs> oh, well, it's because he's Czech, but also British. So I mean, we you know, cover a lot going on. history. We cover mm -hmm. philosophy. We cover this. Sure. <laughs> the TV got descriptions meta. Like, there's a lot going on. There's a, this is deep. Yeah. There are this layers. Is an yeah. This is a real onion of an episode. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the most the most reductive analogy. <laughs> Just the word we we were sounding so high minded. Yeah. You know what and I mean? Then all by onion, sudden, uh, there there are many layers, is what I layers. mean. Layers, uh, you know, like an onion. You know what like I mean? It, it... <laughs> Hi, I'm Orson Welles here to talk to you about onions. <laughs> so Ursula comes by. Yes, welcome back. Yes, and Ira hits on her kind of a lot. Listen, tell me something. Do you think that this boy should call his wife? Yeah, maybe he could tell her about that blonde girl he's always bringing in here. That's my wife. Oh. She talks about the blonde girl he always brings in here. Okay. Ursula. How is she supposed to know that's his wife? You're not wrong. There's I mean, she's two should... things in this scene that are crazy. That one and the other one where it's like Paul right before this part, the audio clip. Paul is she, Ursula's like, are you are you two all right? And Paul's like, hey, if we were any more right, it'd just be oh. out of line. And she doesn't yes. get it. And I'm like, yeah, Ursula, I don't either. I don't know what he's talking yeah. about. <laughs> it's I think in that he. instance, he's right. insecure on the delivery. Yes, I think in that instance, that is an example of him telling a bad joke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think we're supposed to think that she is stupid for not getting that joke. I think we're supposed to see that that is a bad joke, that he's he's the villain of that little bit. He is the villain. Yes. He also had his curly, twisty mustache on. For that. <laughs> so that's how we know. But yeah, you think Ira hits on her too much? Is that what you're about to say or no? Oh, he just hits on her a lot. He's just hitting on her. He's it's just coming Ira, around. Man. It's Ira. He's Iraing it up. He's a fox. I love yes. Can I give you a lift? Oh, gosh. It's so funny. Ursula says, yeah, I'm going uptown to my other job. And Ira asks. Ira offers her a lift. And then he gives all of Paul's money. 
Yeah, yeah, as a tip. As a tip. And yeah, they decide they're going to go uptown. And <laughs> Ira, after having offered a lift, says, you like the subway? Yeah. And that takes us out of that scene. It's real, real funny. And then oh, we the, cut back. Yeah, to Sex of the City. Yeah, we cut back to the ladies getting saucy in the apartment. I like being on top. Really? You don't get knee burn? Well, it's a lot better than being pinned down and trapped. I get knee burn. You get one of those really bad muscle cramps in the middle of sex? Yes! The other night we were having sex and I got this unbelievable cramp in my thigh. You were on top? I was on the bottom. See? What'd you do? <laughs> I used it. I let out this amazing scream. Paul, of course, thought it was him and suddenly threw it into high gear. In five seconds, we were done and I was able to stretch. Ay, ay, ay. Whoo. Is it hot in here, John? I, John. It's, John, is it getting hot in here? It's, it's a, a little hot in here. It's a lot, right? Ooh. We got three, three Samanthas in there. <laughs> you know, my favorite part about Mad About You is how New York City is really like a, a character in the show. <laughs> I mean, it is. But yeah, it is. <laughs> but you can't say that anymore. <laughs> yeah, they've done this before, haven't they? Yeah, when uh, when Jamie and uh, Fran are in the in the fitting room when they're love seat shopping, they've talked about sex a couple of times more than the guys, right? Or am I just more sensitive to it because I'm a man and they're no, a woman? Well, women, no, they are women. <laughs> they are one. They are one woman like Voltron. <laughs> I think the ladies probably talk about sex more than the guys, but it's never this extended. It, and in a graphic, it's pretty graphic. Yes. The yes. guys don't get this graphic, which also, thank God, because then it would it's be a, a good very thing. different. That's yeah, yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody no, wants to hear Ira go into greater detail. <laughs> no, yeah. this is girl locker room talk. Yeah, it's bad enough when he says... You know what I would do to her if Paul said what? And he said, well, I'll tell you. And then said a few things. No, I don't want that show. <laughs> uh, also, Lisa's eyeliner pencil in this scene is huge. There's a lot going on. It looks like she wanted a <laughs> carnival or something. <laughs> it's like she's holding the marker. I mean, what, she put eyeliner on a big, what? big head? <laughs> <laughs> on a big head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, yeah, nothing has big eyes. Like, I was, yeah, there's no buildings with eyes. That's what I was hoping to think of, but no, there's no buildings with eyes. Oh, man. Is that, I think that may be, <laughs> the, was, wasn't there, like, a sequel to the Cars movie that was just, like. Buildings? Yes, seriously. I can't recall, but I remember thinking, because they made cars and they made planes. Wait, you're being serious? Yes, I think they made a movie with, like, buildings. Because basically, well, anytime nobody's going to win the race. Yeah. <laughs> I think I I, mean, I can't remember if it's real or if it's a joke I made, but they're just like anytime there are windows, they they were like, we could put eyes in those windows and that's a character. Boom. That rings a bell. The, the rest writes itself. That joke like, rings a bell. I think I first thought of it when we were in Providence last year, so it might be from that, but I'm not sure. Well, if not last year, then a few years ago. If anyone wants to know the etymology of a joke that nobody knows except for us, <laughs> you're welcome. Then tweet at me. Uh, Lisa's outfit. Also, I know you always are bothered by crazy clothes. The clothes in this one made me crazy. Oh, man. She's wearing it's... a blouse version of the puffy shirt like it's a real shirt. She is full on Natalie Merchant by the end of this scene. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
she looks like each and every one of the 10,000 maniacs. Hearing someone use the term, like, try on the vest sounds crazy to me now. Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. says, like, even using the word vest is crazy. Yeah, that's true. Like, it just sounded weird to hear someone be like, oh, yeah, and the vest. The vest? What are you, a cop? Ve- like, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> is it bulletproof? <laughs> Yeah, as soon as somebody says the vest, the response is, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, right. Even if you were before, by calling attention to it. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, if you were fully if you were fully into wearing a vest and somebody said, hey, hand me that vest, they're like, you know, I think I've had second yeah. thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to wear a blazer. <laughs> I need to talk about this very, very quickly. Oh, first of all, yeah, Jamie says, I'm not upset with Paul for the schedule problem. I'm upset with him for something else. This is just an easier thing to be upset with him over. Right. Which is very astute and very funny. A lot of poignancy in these jokes. Yes, absolutely. A lot of recognizable human behavior. Yeah, for sure. And after she says that, what does Fran say, John? I don't remember. Oh, yes, I do. You two are so lucky to have each other. Oh, you're so lucky to have each other. Oh, it's we're going to we're going to we need to start doing shots. I know. As soon as they say yeah. they're lucky to have each other. Yeah, that drinking game where you drink <laughs> we got once there. a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We get crazy, boy. That old drinking game. <laughs> but it so really, then, it fit organically. Yeah, it did. More it did. than normal. It didn't feel forced. If we yeah. weren't doing this podcast, it would just feel totally normal. Uh, most things in the show would be that way. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. Not like the spices thing. Everybody's up on that. <laughs> if you were just a casual watcher, you'd be saying, what's the deal with the spices on this show? Russ, I hope you know how stupid you sound right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's absurd. It's right in front of you. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. Okay. So now I, I want to talk about what happened here because what I was doing, I was writing a note about the show and I heard Fran say this. Sometimes you're just on different wavelengths. You know, Fran, you're always defending Paul, but you don't live with him like we do. And she says, sometimes you're just on different wavelengths. And I had my head down and I was like, she sounded just like Richard Kind. Like that delivery of sometimes you're just on different wavelengths. It was brash and it was loud and it was big and it sounded just like Richard Kind. And then I looked up at the TV and on screen was Fran and Lisa and no Jamie because Jamie had gone into the bedroom. And the reason that Fran was being so loud and Does sounding like Richard Kind. anyone know where this is going? The reason she's being oh, so loud is because she's yelling into right. another room. Okay. So here I am thinking, oh, she sounds just like Richard Kind. It's like, yeah, when people try. Right. When, when anyone project, tries to shout into the other room, you that's your Richard Kind impression. It's a very good Richard Kind impression. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was, I had, I really, for a second, I thought you were going to postulate that Richard Kind was visiting the set and shouted the line, <laughs> which is crazy. No, that would be crazy. You know what? Maybe it was that too. Yeah. The truth is... <laughs> yeah, it was both. It was both. Uh, very interesting. It was fun. So, Lisa is against personal ads, and she would just rather go shopping, she says. And Fran <laughs> says a few things. She's helpful to Lisa, and she's enthusiastic. But then when Jamie suggests that Fran have that kind of enthusiasm. Fran is not having it. She is not down with that. Did that make sense? No. (laughs) Great. And I guarantee you, nobody that's listening is trying as hard as I am to understand what you just said. I'm sure. I I don't get it. 
<laughs> and I was trying really hard. Sure. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, let's move. No, to the it next doesn't thing. matter. We're gonna move on. So yeah, Lisa's dressed like Natalie Merchant, and she lists a million bad attributes about herself, and then closes things off with, "Do you think he'll like me?" Uh-huh. And Jamie says, "What's not to like?" Yeah, classic. Classic button. Very fun. So then we get to the Natural History Museum. Which, you know, it didn't occur to me till the second time I watched it. We didn't know this was coming. That's right. Like, it feels like such a part of the episode, and I guess it's called Natural History, but mm-hmm. nobody's mentioned where anyone's thing is for the second half of the episode. We don't know where Ursula's second job is. We don't know where the right. double date is. We don't know. There's no yeah. reason we should end up here. I kind of like that. Right. Yeah, it was fun. We just open up on the next scene and there's a huge skeleton. And I don't know about you, but for a second, I was like, what? It was like, oh, you won't get this. Uh, Try me. I guarantee you'd be laughing so hard if I said this and you understood. It was like season two, episode one of The Wire. (laughs) Well, I'll laugh for another reason. (laughs) (laughs) When the camera opens on the docks and you're like, oh, what's going on right now? (laughs) You know what, Russ? I don't even care if I spoil it for you. Well, now I know there are docks, so thanks a lot. (laughs) You know what? If that's a spoiler, it can't be a very good show. (laughs) So, yeah, Paul and Ira are at the Natural History Museum. Ursula is a tour guide. Yeah, which is also very funny, but one of those jokes that, like, I didn't get until I thought about it for a second. Right. That's a very funny job for her to have. It's very strange. Yeah, because she's idea, yeah, an and, idiot. Yeah, she like drops Stacey. it. Yeah, she drops it in the in the scene before at the end of Riffs, where she's just like, "I have to go uptown. I have to go to my other job." And it's like, yeah, so yeah, it's it's your interest is peaked. Just like, what's her other job? Right. We didn't see. Yeah, we did not see this coming. Oh, she, Basically, oh. everything that you just said is true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she does this PA of the Stone Age Resistance joke. Yes. And then laughs at herself. <laughs> it's not even a good joke, right? It is not great. There's nothing in there right, that I'm not getting. No, it is. Right. Ju- it okay. is just a yes, just a bad joke. Yeah. Paul is getting frustrated with Ira because yeah. he will not give it up. Paul says she said she was busy. Uh, she said she was busy in front of the pterodactyls, then again in front of the Paleozoic mollusks. So must you be humiliated, era by era? Very Steve Paymer to me. <laughs> yeah, I felt for like sure. I was watching two old, uh, like two old actors on the Yiddish stage in Second Avenue doing a sketch. Right. <laughs> so Me Paul... first she rejected you at the crustacean period, then she rejected <laughs> you. Thus we be rejected. Our people, our people go through this strife. Well, one day we'll be extinct, so we must. (laughs) Oh my. Paul compares the Tyrannosaurus Rex's statue to Rex Harrison in the dumbest joke in the world. Russ, I don't know if it's because I subconsciously remembered it or if we're just too similar. But when he said Rex, my brain was like, <laughs> Are you gonna make a Rex Harrison joke? Uh oh. That's where my brain went immediately. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> we may need to take a break from this podcast. <laughs> no, it's just who I am. It's not the podcast. The snake is eating its tail. I mean, my go to's are so convoluted and weird. <laughs> I was talking about hubris with my friend Brett the Oh, Brett from the podcast. Yeah. And my go to I was like, who are you? Crayon from Antigone? <laughs> Oh my gosh! Because that's where that's where I learned hubris from. So my brain—that's the definitive. No, that's, that's fair. But it's a little that's, weird. That's uh, you know what? That's fine. I'm fine with that. But also, what did you say his name was? I don't know how to say it. Shoot me, Creon. No, Creon, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Antigone. I was just thrown. So you can imagine because <laughs> all I heard you say was a lot of crazy. What are things. you, Crayon? <laughs> and I was like, 
Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I mean anyway. Paul have the same references. Wonderful. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so Paul has a vote regarding whether or not Ira and Ursula should go out. Yeah. And at the end of the... I love, at the end... Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just love how... I love this aspect of sitcoms where it's just background actors are just on board. <laughs> yeah. Like, whatever uh, yeah, crazy... Like, yeah, even in the scene when Ursula's like, oh, I have to start the tour over. <laughs> I just love looking at everyone's blank face being like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> also, though, what is her riff shift? That's a great question. The, why, what does she work 9 a.m. to like noon and then she rushes up to do a tour? <laughs> Maybe. Like, what yeah. time does brunch end? <laughs> and how long how long is the is the, the museum open? Well, we know they're the out of schedule there. Does we not... know Jamie was expecting to be home by three. That's true. Which means she's probably meeting the guy around like one, one or two. One or two. Which yeah. means Ursula probably bailed out of rifts around noon. But also, where's the where's the museum? Seventy ninth. It's all in, the way uptown, uh, Central right? Park West. Yeah, yeah. But rifts, we don't know where rifts is How? exactly. But you could probably hop on the E in Soho. Sure. Or not so. Well, yeah. And they're, they're not, Soho, if, I think. if they're there all the time, it's probably near their apartment. If who's where? Oh, rifts. Well, they're they're yeah. That's true. That's true. I oh, they could have got the uh, B at uh, West Fourth. That's probably what they did. <laughs> Add, we'll add it to or the list. Or they called it back then, the BRT, the IQF, <laughs> the LBE. <laughs> so then, after the vote happens, Paul has a run-in with a few visitors from Tampa. Excuse uh-huh. me, excuse yes. me. Would you mind videotaping my husband and I? Oh, nothing would please me more. You're not from New York, are you? Tampa. Tampa. Little tip for you, don't give your camera to strangers, all right? <laughs> Love when this happens. <laughs> love a love a Paul Buckman running. Great, just the joy. Love us. The city is mean and harsh. Running. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's very funny in it. He's very clipped. It's great. Also, the guy, the husband. <laughs> so you know, it's an old woman and an old man. They're married. Doesn't he look exactly like Edward Albee? Yes, he does. Right, it's like a yes, weird. Yes, he does. <laughs> very, very strange. Wishing it was Edward Albee. That'd be great. He's like, I'm going to be in Los Angeles. My one dream (laughs) has always been. I don't need to speak, (laughs) but I would Uh, like to be seen. Thank you. Yeah, tell them I'd like uh, something to do with a a camera. (laughs) Uh, uh. Well, of course, Sylvia Buckman, named after uh, the famous famous LB play. Oh my god, the goat and Sylvia. The goat, yeah, the play that hadn't been written yet, I don't think. Oh, really? Also, I don't, I don't even so. know what it's called. What is it? Who is the goat? Sylvia? Or like the, it's Sylvia called is the, the goat? goat? The goat, or who is Sylvia? That's that's, it. Uh, <laughs> that's probably my, that's one of my favorite Albie plays. Maybe my Wait, maybe really? number one. Yeah, it's really great. Oh, you don't hear, you don't hear that one that often. It's very, very good. Interesting. I saw it with Jonathan Price when I was in London. Oh, great. Mr. Controversy. <laughs> <laughs> right? Is he, Didn't uh, he play like a of... Vietnamese dude in Miss Saigon in the seventies, and it got a, it was a huge right. He did do that. He plays the pin, and there was probably a controversy yeah, even about back it. then. <laughs> Mister Controversy, love it. <laughs> All yeah, right. him and him and Prince, nothing to talk about. <laughs> the woman's played by Shirley Prestia. Great, and you know, honestly, I uh, I don't really have anything to say about her. Great. <laughs> Uh, she was on we've a lot really, of TV shows. We've really come a long way in this show where <laughs> it used to be in-depth information and now it's just like, here's her name and he looks like Edward Albee. Oh, Russ, I got news for you. I got a lot. 
on some of the other <laughs> guest stars. You're not getting off that easy. For those who remember the episode of Curb where Larry wants to be a car salesman, she was one of the customers. Oh, gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes a good one. of that show. When Richard Lewis shows up, he's like, who are you, Willie Loman? <laughs> you were the customer. But she was just on everything. Like, when you look at her TV resume, it's like you were on every, like Family Ties, Benson, Fame, Golden Girls, Facts of Life, Mama's Family, Cheers. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm Married with Children, Night Court, Mr. Belvedere, Alf. Like our childhood, like she was, she was That's always the there. list. That's great. I know, right? And it just keeps going. Anyway, <laughs> they're from cool. Tampa. Wonderful. Uh, so we get a nice Tommy Schlamy bit of flair where we are focusing on Paul being shown how to work a camera uh, by the Tampa couple, uh, and, which is so funny. And we pan left, and who is entering? We follow Jamie and Lisa. Yes, they that have is arrived. A Tommy Schlamy. What do we call it? I just called it a pan left, but it's also it's a walk and talk a little bit. Not really. No, but, but we don't have a term for this yet, do we? No. He loves doing these, though. He loves a surprise uh, entrance. Sure. Yeah. Motivated by the not motivated. Yeah, motivated by camera move. Let's, well, no, whatever. Yeah, okay, whatever. You guys know what I'm Great. saying. The camera just yep. starts moving apropos of nothing. You don't notice it. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, oh, it was moving because uh, Jamie and Lisa are coming. Yeah. That's all we mean. Pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah, for sure. And so they are looking for their, for Lisa's date. Yeah. Six feet, dark hair, glasses. Six feet, dark hair, glasses. Jam! Yo, Jim, Jimmy boy! Hey, cut out. <laughs> Look, when you've been stood up enough, you develop a sense about these things. Jimbo! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Did that remind you of her looking for Murray? It didn't, right? but it's similar for sure. She yeah, loves when you bring it up. names. Yeah. <laughs> Just the brute force method. Yeah, she's got things to do, baby. Yeah. Jimbo! Jimbo. And at that point, the security guard begins to shush them. Oh, and this is a bit. He is such a good shusher. He's great. Right? He's great in this episode. He's played by Ronald Frazier. Do you know who he is? I don't. I don't know. I thought you might recognize. You never know when you recognize. Well, I usually have a good guess. I, he looked like I, I. he's a guy who I thought this is a guy, but I didn't look him up. I didn't even think that. He was in Presumed Innocent. Remember that boring thriller? <laughs> oh brother boy he didn't have to be very thrilling to be a thriller in 1990 it's sick thriller burn john <laughs> well it's like it's a good movie but it's you know a little boring <laughs> that's all it's not what yeah. we expected he's in the world according to garp which is a movie we've heard of and i've never seen i well look i'm trying to think about the words of the title and how exciting they would be like innocent well, that doesn't sound very exciting. Oh, presumed. Yeah, right. Uh... Yeah, it should be called definitely guilty. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's worth watching. <laughs> so you want to watch the sequel? <laughs> <laughs> he was also uh, on Broadway. Okay. He did An Enemy of the People in 1971. Cool. 12, uh, no, 53 performances. <laughs> At the and Beaumont. Oh, directed by Jules Irving. Oh, neat. Which is a name I recognize, but I can't exactly place. Okay. Just a famous director. I guess we've probably sure. seen his name in the uh, front of plays. That sounds I think like he, a thing yeah, that could happen. He directed a lot of originals, you know? Caucasian yeah. Chalk Circle, Country okay. Life, blah, blah, blah. Great. I'm on a tangent. <laughs> sure are. Real me in. Hey, tell me about Chalk. Let's talk about the stage manager. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he did a play called, I never heard of this one, Einstein and the Polar Bear. I also do not know it. Four performances. 
Oh, and 20 previews. Ouchie mama. John, I was about to say, I think we can skip. I don't think we have to mention the four performance shows. <laughs> but but really, all I want to do is talk about this show now. David. I'm going to learn about that a lot David and report Stringham back. David Stringham was in it. <laughs> How, oh, now I have to know everything about this thing. I cited the polar bear? Yeah. It was written by Tom Griffin. Great. Uh, I don't know who I'll that look- is. I'll look it up on my own time. He has one Broadway credit. I cited the polar bear. Oh, my goodness. This is fascinating. <laughs> uh, and then he was also in, it doesn't matter, The Shadow Box, which is one of those like plays from the 70s that people do in drama class. Cool. Yeah. I always love when they, oh, he worked with Mercedes Rule with Estelle Parsons. Great. I mean, oh, and Marlo Thomas. Excellent. All right. Anyway, he's a very good security guard. He's a great security guard in this. So um, everybody in the group, the tour group, is posing for a video picture. Yeah, it's he's like, let's get a group shot. And they all pose like it's a photo. Mm-hmm. But then he does remind them. He's like, it's a movie. It's a video. So like move. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, it's a moving picture. But that which... is what home videos used to be like. Like you ever watch your like parents or grandparents old home movies and it's just people waving at it. Like, I guess that's true. But even if they were waving, that would be one thing. They're not waving. They're not talking. They're not doing. They are standing still for a picture. And Paul's just like, OK, I'm getting this shot of them. Well, that's what would happen, though. <laughs> I guess so. You know, because like if someone I... was like, oh, go stand over there. You'd be like, yeah, now what? Now what? <laughs> sure. Like, what do we do now? Like, talk to each other? Like, you know what I mean? It's a weird premise. Yeah, that's true. And as they are take, as he is taking this footage, who does he see through the line? He sees Jamie and Lisa. Yes, indeed. And so, yeah, we come back from commercial, and uh, he is still mad. They are still a little bit mad at each other. Yeah, this issue is not going to go away easily. Which is a little bit strange, I think. Well, it's an issue to her more than him, right? Yes. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Somehow. He seems mad, though. They both are kind of mad. He is definitely mad. Yeah. I guess because he's still mad about her uh, double booking. And if you're married to this person, if you're married to each other. Yeah. Let this one and go. You, and you randomly show up at the Museum of Natural History and run into each other. That's the sort of thing where you just go, holy cow. What are this? What are the uh, this is nuts. Yeah, the argument would, felt weird. You would never think of, did you follow yeah, me here? Right. Also, did you why? follow like, me what? here? No. Why would I follow I you? Yeah. Can we just see that this is strange? Yeah, the whole reason we're arguing is because I'm busy. Yeah. Um, you think I have time to follow so, you? <laughs> as they continue to argue with each other, they continue to get shushed. And um, we continue to hear that Paul thinks it is a big coincidence that they arrived there at the same time together. Whereas Jamie thinks that it is fate. They are fated to be there. They are fated to be together. This is where Steve Pamer becomes like Aristotle and sets up this beautiful moment where Jamie has to watch. So the blind date enters. They recognize him from his description. Mm. And he's near Lisa, Mm. but they don't see each other. And and Jamie wants to go intervene and be like, and introduce them. And Paul's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let fate decide. Yeah. Uh, It's great. Yeah. It's great. And, And then this happens. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Jeez. <laughs> Lisa's exclamation <laughs> is, it's so short, but it made me laugh so hard. That was great. And it, and it made Jen just go, I love Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> so then... After Lisa bumps into Jim and storms off, Jim then bumps into Ursula. They decide to go and get coffee. 
Yes, because after all, he was stood up. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you're a, you're a lady. <laughs> yep. You want to get coffee? And she's yeah. like, hey, yeah. Yeah, it just so happens that you're, yeah, you could fill this, ro this role. What a simpler time. <laughs> man, oh man. Everyone was just interchangeable. Uh, yeah. This guy, Jim, Jimbo, was played by uh, Ralph Bruno, Bruno, okay. Bruno Mars, but not spelled that way. I thought you might recognize him because he played the nephew in Scrooged. Oh, I've man. never seen Scrooged. I don't know if the nephew's like a two-line thing or a, a main I don't know, but I figured when I saw that, I was like, oh, I bet Russ I knows him. I also don't, re I don't recall, but I will, I will think about it. That's very, I love Scrooge. He also played the dentist in the note, the Seinfeld episode. Cool. Where they get a second note. If any of, if any of you uh, folks would like to hear me talk at length about Scrooge, I was on an episode of the podcast Jingle yeah. Friends. Yeah. And uh, right. we watched Scrooge and talked all about it. And it's a really fun podcast. I had a really great time doing it. Go check it out. They are the best. So yeah, really, really fun. Also, guess what? Mm -hmm. This what? man was in a little show at Playwrights Horizons that might ring a bell called March of the Falsettos. Oh, really? Yeah, it was in the original production. The One of the How two cool. parts that uh, was Falsettos, uh, the Tony Award-winning Falsettos revival on Broadway last season. That's bizarre. With everyone's great. favorite baker, Chip Zion. <laughs> Oh, he's so good. Yeah. Howard the Duck himself. What? I think I knew yeah. that. I think maybe you've told me that before. Yeah. And I think maybe yeah. I had the same. Oh, wow. James sure. Lapine directed it. Wow. Anyway, that's another chance. That makes sense, too. He was also in. Yeah, sure is. His Broadway credits are so weird because he was in Doonesbury, Fearless Frank, and King of the Schnorrers. That is very weird. All weird titles, all very short shows that didn't last very long. King of the Schnorrers ran from the end of November to the beginning of January. Do you know what just happened, John? No. You realized that you had gone off on another tangent. You made it known vocally, and <laughs> in one half of one breath, you went on another tangent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Anyway. This is wonderful. Oh, oh, did you get that email I sent you? No. I sent an email to your Hotmail. I want you okay. to open it and tell me if the man in the photo is the same Ralph Bruno. Do I have to do that right now? Yes, please. Can okay, you do that right now? Me, let me see. I'm genuinely not sure. I'm so fascinated if this is the guy. I don't have my computer by me. Wait, to look at an email, you can't just do it on your phone? I'm trying right now. I'm not sure if it'll let me. If it'll I let you? It will. Yeah, I'm not sure how things work. Load a photo? Calm down. I don't do this a lot. It's working. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and who do you want to know if this is? Is that the guy is that jimbo many years later i don't know maybe he looks completely different and i saw him in the episode for two minutes <laughs> Wait, does he look completely different yes oh so it's probably not him i don't know he's got the man who we're looking at now <laughs> is completely bald with a white mustache and goatee well, it's many years later yeah i know and i don't know what the other dude looked like well this it's guy... not like you're saying, is this Harrison Ford? And I know what Harrison Ford looks like. Russ, you saw the guy on Mad About You. Well, maybe we'll tweet at him and ask. Though he might be you really should. thrown. If it's not the guy, he's going to be like, huh? He might say, I get this all the time. That's <laughs> There's not a lot of Brunos. Yeah, In he'll fact, say, for I Mad know. About You, right? Yeah. No, different guy. <laughs> Because this guy was Mr. International Leather. Mr. International Leather? Yes, he's a leather daddy. <laughs> cool. And he, okay. he won the contest. He won the pageant, I guess. And he's been using his Twitter. <laughs> the pageant! 
pageant. Yeah, it's a pageant, right? I don't know. I like that phrasing a lot. Well, the, he's wearing a sash in the Twitter profile. Oh my gosh, great. The leather pageant. Awesome. <laughs> so I feel like we should uh, contact him, see if he's a guy, and uh, get his perspective on what it was like to guest star, if it's him. I know we say this a lot. We are absolutely going to do that. Yeah. I feel like, though, he would have mentioned it somewhere. 100% we're reaching out to this guy. Because he was on a lot of shows, you know? Anyway. Sure, sure. Let's move on. So... Oh, we go to Ira and uh, Lisa. Yes, we have a quick little scene with Ira and Lisa. It has no following consequence. We don't see them for the rest of the episode. But basically, they make up. It is Ira and Lisa being sweet to each other. Oh, he also uses the term mokes. Yes. And yeah. she doesn't if, know what uh, it means, if, and he won't tell right. us. And that's it. <laughs> It's a nonsense New York Ira word. If he showed up and he saw you and left, he's a mox. He's a mox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. A mox, a pez head. Yep. We need an Ira glossary. We sure do. Yeah, we really do. We'll we'll make that happen. Get yeah. on it. We'll put Get on, on the fans. website. <laughs> when when we have a website. Yeah, absolutely. Stay tuned for that, folks. Also, this reminded me of the Murray missing episode a little too. Yeah, because we have another scene between. Yeah, the two every of them. time someone goes wandering off or missing. <laughs> Yeah. Those two find <laughs> so, each other. <laughs> so here's here's a question that came to my mind in this scene. Because Iris also says, I lose my girl for five minutes. She and some guy are steaming up the glass by the penguin habitat. Yes. Where are they? I had the same thought because it sound they were using terminology the minute it sound like they're at a zoo. Yes. But as you know, you've been to this museum, right? I assume. Many I believe times. so, yes. They build full-on replicas of different creatures in their habitats. Okay, I'll allow it. You don't remember that? I'll uh, no. I'm sure they do. I I, I don't. I honestly I don't sure remember. They it, do. But That's I'm like sure they do. It's like going to McDonald's and not eating a cheeseburger. This is what they're famous for. Is the habitats? Yeah, full-on replicas okay. with the plants. Okay. I we just we, me and my girlfriend just had a very in-depth tour of the museum recently. Oh, you know what? I'm sure. I think I'm recalling now. But like, would you call that a? I don't know if I would call that a habitat. Yeah, I don't know if I would either, to be honest. But it habitat is a replica alive, of their habitat. Right? Sure. An exhibit or a... Uh, An exhibit uh, uh, of uh, a habitat. Yeah, but... Habitat's a fun word. Habitat. John, John habitat. if I take a picture... You know what I mean? If I take a habitat. picture... If I take a photo of your house... That's my habitat. And I hang the photo... If I hang the photo of your house By inside my habitat? apartment... Yeah, I wouldn't say, hey, go over to John's house. Would you? We're going over to John's house. It's still a picture of your house. Russ, these aren't photos yes. at the museum. You got to go to the museum again. Back in the day, uh. they have full-on replicas. <laughs> I w- this is before they could take good photos even. It dates back. They would bring back, the scientists would go sketch the real habitat, bring back the plants and the dirt and everything from that. I'm not even joking. And they're sitting in the Natural History Museum with a real stuffed version of the animals that live there. What about my face thought uh, told you that I thought you were joking? <laughs> there was this there was a look. <laughs> there was a look. I sensed the look. He sensed the look. Habitat. No look. Habitat. Anyway, I'm with Ira. Great. Well, then you're also with Jamie because in the next scene, we cut back to uh, the T-Rex and Jamie is coming back. She is looking for folks and uh, she says they're not by the worms. That one really threw me. I was like, okay, are we at the zoo? (laughs) I'm going to murder you. No, but but... (laughs) you couldn't you couldn't just say, yeah, it's a lapse. A lapse for that, yeah. It's a lapse in writing, and it's not 
Correct. No, Russ, it's not a lapse. You think people don't know the difference between the zoo and the museum? Yes, that's that what That whole I think. writer's room grew up going on field trips to that museum. I guarantee it. Again, you're defending. This is this is vintage, John. Vintage? <laughs> yes. Modern. That, I'm agreeing with you. We're on the same side of the thing. <laughs> and then you just like, no, Russ, you're wrong. <laughs> no, you're saying it's a lapse. Yes. I'm saying it's intentional. Okay. I disagree okay, so with you, you, right? Okay. You could be disagreeing. You think it's so you think it's intentional that she's looking for the worm that they <laughs> that they're not by the worms. I mean <laughs> way to phrase it in a way that makes me look like an idiot, but also in a way that's wholly accurate. It's exactly I mean, what she says verbatim. <laughs> yeah, she says, Well, they're not by the worms. And you're like, good line. Those are smart writers. They're think they're playing chess while we're playing checkers. No, because Russ, the museum has a worm area too. Does it? It does every living thing. You have to go. You have to go. <laughs> Look, I believe you're right, and I'm sure that you are. But that that also sounds you're also so right. You you gotta go to this museum. It has every <laughs> living thing. It is. It's like the Noah's Ark of museums. <laughs> Oh, well, then you haven't been to the Noah's Ark. It's museum, like if Noah built, the, which is a thing, <laughs> Noah built an ark and the flood didn't come. And they were like, oh, what are we going to do? He's like, I got it. Museum. <laughs> we got to stuff this yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my gosh. So then Paul is telling the T-Rex to sit. Oh, he's, he's training the yeah. T-Rex. He's doing a real Paul Buckman bit. It's very silly. It kills me. And Jamie is mad in general at Paul. But Paul says, who are you mad at, me or God? Jamie says, frankly, you're both getting on my nerves today. Very existential. Absolutely. Then he does and another dinosaur starts, bit. Yeah, he starts goofing around, goes over to an open skull of a T-Rex, and there's a red glowing light inside. He says, it looks like he swallowed an exit sign. <laughs> that killed me. This whole sequence kills me. You like this? It's yeah, fun. he goes into like a Goodfellas thing. This is the kind of behavior yes. like when Larry David does it on Curb. Mm -hmm. Like this is the kind of behavior where you'll see a, like a Jewish comedian that I love does this kind of shtick and the Gentile wife <laughs> usually mm -hmm. gets annoyed. Yes, absolutely. Because he's just saying nonsense. Right. <laughs> and a thing, and I think it's so fun. <laughs> is that what you did? Is that what you did? You swallowed a sack? Yeah. You swallowed a sack? Like Hey, I asked you a question. You swallow a sign? Yeah, he's doing like a Frank Vincent style. Yeah, R.I.P. R.I.P. So yeah, he jokes around with the skull, and he gets his head stuck inside. <laughs> yeah, the sweater gets stuck on a tube. Mm-hmm. And, and when he Jamie, asks, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, you go ahead. When when Jamie's helping him uh, get unhooked, she she has to move his arm against the weave. Yes, that's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> they finally get him dislodged from the head. Oh, also, while he's yeah. stuck in the head, a mom comes by and he's like, "Hi, oh, how right. are you?" And then a kid comes by and he's like, "Get out of here! Get out of here!" He yeah. hates kids. He does. He doesn't like being stared at. He hates by... kids for us. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I won't make it. I won't, I won't defend him. I won't defend this behavior. He Absolutely. hates kids. He hates kids. Paul Buckman hates kids. <laughs> Except <laughs> Tell everyone own. you know. Tell everyone you know. So, yeah. So, Jamie's looking for scissors in her purse. Paul yells at a kid. That's my note. <laughs> uh, they finally get him out. Paul says, I'm like a tuna melt because he's so hot. 
Oh. And they have they have knocked a tooth out of the skull. Yes. Where's Ross has, Geller Paul, when you need him? Ross, yeah, Ross as Paul, Geller. Oh, yeah, yeah. As Paul puts it, he says, there's 200 million years of plaque on here. Yeah. That's another very like. I feel like we're back at the uh, Second Avenue Yiddish Theater in 19th oh, yeah. century For New York. Sure. <laughs> hey, this, doc, this uh, dinosaur hasn't been to a dentist in over 200 million years. <laughs> that bill's going to cost a fortune. <laughs> Oh gosh. They reattach the tooth and they turn to leave, but the shushing security guard the is there. Um so now we go to the security office. Yes, we do. Just like the parking garage. Uh-huh. And Jamie, well, Jamie wants to make a break for it. Leave it alone. <laughs> You're cranky. Come on, let's make a break for it. <laughs> I don't want to make a break for it. You never want to make a break for it. Has this come up before? You know what I mean. No, I really don't. You never want to go to the theater. Oh, well, so now I see. Very interesting. This is what we've always said. We never phrased it this mm -hmm. way, but it's true. Paul's not down for a lot of things. No, that is true. You know, he only what excites to... him. Yep, he wants to play by the books, and he wants to do what he wants to do, period. The end. Yes. Very childish. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but it's also funny that she seems to be making it into a big thing with lots of different facets. Right. And then says, like, what? She says, you never want to go to the theater. And that's the end of the list. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, now I see. Oh, now I see. The security guard. This made me laugh out loud. It's great. Very hard. It's very, very great. Because he bans <laughs> them. And yes. Paul's just like, you know what? I don't really care. I'm fine. Yeah. He, he pulls a Larry David. Yeah. The guard's like, they always say that. <laughs> <laughs> in the most ominous way which is so true because you don't want to go to a museum until you want to go to a museum sure sure you know and then it's just like yep then you can't oh. next time go next to the time guggenheim. go to the guggenheim <laughs> ah. that is one zany uh one zany museum it's very funny and then paul and jamie talk uh, they leave the security office and they talk about the last time they were there back when they were kids and there was a blackout with me. Every time I come to this place, it's a disaster. Either I can't find my parents or there's a blackout or some dinosaur loses a tooth. I told you that. What? The blackout? I told you that. That's my story. No, I told you that. Why would you tell me my own story? I wouldn't. I'd only tell you mine. This is very scary. You can't even tell whose stories are whose anymore? That's not supposed to happen for years. Lisa and I came here as kids and there was a blackout. Yeah, there's a blackout, except that's not you. That was me and Ira. I told you. No, I told you that. Well, I must have listened pretty good that it happened to me. <laughs> what? Now, I don't want to... I don't want to chase a timeline too hard here. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you going to... Did you find out stuff about blackouts? Well, we all remember the blackout. <laughs> Oh. Which the uh, of 2007. Oh, that one. Okay. No, no, no. This was uh, I. I don't know. It's it's prominent in a lot. Any documentary about New York in the 70s brings up the blackout. I thought you were gonna say, "Hey, you idiots! The blackout didn't happen for another 20 years. What are you even talking about?" <laughs> uh, 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 uh. No, the famous blackout of 1977, which happened on July right. 13th, Wednesday, at 8:37 p.m. Mm-hmm. Now, Russ. Yes. They were at the museum at eight forty on a Wednesday night. 
Is this Museum Fifty Four? No. Were they doing disco? What? This is not. This is not that museum. There was a blackout at the museum. Huh? This is not that blackout. What do you mean? This is not the great blackout of New York City. There was a line in there. Ira and Paul caused the blackout. Oh, I feel like an idiot. It's okay. I even did research on the blackout. Well, that was silly. I have a whole but... <laughs> Daily News article about the blackout. Well, tell it. Or save Two it. Two young for, you fictional know characters. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on to it. I have it on good authority that there's another blackout coming in just a couple of years. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So we'll talk about we'll talk about it then. Yeah, I'll put a little note in my Google for two, yeah. two years from now. <laughs> Great. Oh, so they caused it, huh? Yes. I couldn't tell if it was Ira talking to Paul or Paul talking to Ira, but they're like, I told you not to flip the switch. That's right. Yeah. I thought that was a joke. Uh, no. Wait, are you not sure? Joke. Yes. How old do you think I, they were in that? Um, oh, wait, but they're 30. They're 30 in 1993. Yeah. 31, so 77 would I be. I think they're like 11. Is everyone enjoying this math? Let's see, 70, <laughs> 77. 82. Yeah. Oh, it would have had to have been the same. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Ah, shoot. Because I could also see that joke where it's like, it's the real blackout and Ira th thinks Paul caused it. Sure. But that's not, that. the timeline nope. doesn't make sense. I could see that. It's not what happened. It's not but what I happened. See it. I agree. I agree. <laughs> you know what? You write that story. That's not this story. <laughs> you write that story. I'm so disappointed. Okay. Now, I'm so sorry, now what but... happened? Great. They they met earlier. Well, yes, they they Paul and Jamie both tell the same story of yeah. the blackout, which we heard about, and the episode crossfades to black and white, and all of a sudden we are back in time, and the security guard is a young security guard, but it's the same guy talking about the Guggenheim and hooligans, and uh, then we get and we're gonna hear the whole thing. We get young Paul and young Jamie and young Ira and young Lisa. Well, the light's back on momentarily. Nice going, Pez Head. <laughs> going to Alcatraz. I know it. Shouldn't have touched the switch. Well, you dared me. Never hold up. Never hold up. Alcatraz. <laughs> it's dark in here. I like it. Stay with your group, girls. What's that? My stick is so special. Shut it off. No. Just... Hey, where are you going? gonna confess. What are you nuts? Come on, let's make a break for it. Not making a break for it. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. What are you children doing? Nothing. Ah, well, you wanna act like hooligans? This is not the place for it. We're sorry, officer. We really are. I got it. I got it. Oh, I got it. Thank you. See ya. Hey, what was that all about? Hey, watch the hair. They didn't really feel like young versions of themselves, right? No, they did not. Like, I wish I read as a kid would have said something a little sleazy or like shady. Well, something shady. Well, they put in, they really kind of, yes, I wish young Ira had been shadier. In fact, young Paul was a little bit tougher than normal Paul is, I think. Yeah. But they they also kind of did their signature stuff. Yeah. A little bit. Well. Uh, well, Ira calls him Pezhead. Oh, he does? Yeah. Ira says, nice going, Pezhead. Oh, right. That's cute. And, uh, you know, Paul in this, he, uh, Iris saying, let's make a break for it. Yeah. Paul saying, yes. I don't want to make a break for it, yeah. which had just happened. Jamie and Lisa are 
indistinguishable. Right. But yeah, Jamie has a purse. Jamie has a purse that is the size of the Sears Tower. <laughs> it The shape is so weird. It looks like, it either looks like an army canteen from the 40s or a travel pillow. It might have been a canteen. I forgot. Oh, it actually might have been, huh? She might have been carrying an army canteen to go to the museum. Wait, are you joking or not joking? I am joking. Uh, is it crazy that I thought you might be serious? Yes, that is crazy. <laughs> you, you might want to bring a canteen to a museum. <laughs> you might. Truly. The shape was yeah. nuts. It was weird. I also, I loved, I don't know why. There, I guess there were so many background actors in this episode. Mm -hmm. Watching all of the background actors zigzag behind everyone in the crazy <laughs> 70s clothes. They did do that. Like so, like some of the costumes were so over the. It was like you were watching Three's Company and like tech. Like you could see the color even though it wasn't black and white. It was so crazy. Right. <laughs> and I can just imagine welcome. all the backstage trying on different clothes, being like, <laughs> "Oh, I used to wear these." <laughs> sure. Oh, period clothes are fun, man. Sure are. So Jamie wants. We come back to the present, and Jamie wants Paul to admit that it might be fate that brought them together, since especially. We've just learned that they were together at the yeah. uh, museum as kids. And you really believe this happened? I do. I really do. You know what? Either way, it doesn't really matter, does it? How can you say that? Because we're here now, you know? Well, take me home. I got it. I got it. I got it. That was a pretty nice way they did that. Yes, I I liked that very much. Like that was a that that's a tricky puzzle to figure out. Yeah, it was sweet, and uh, you know, there's no reason for either of them to give, but the fact that Paul eventually comes around and sees that you know is willing to open up a little bit to the possibility. There is that a it's moment, fake. maybe it's projection because we know what really happened, but where she drops her purse when they come back to present day and yes. he picks it up, there's yes. like a little dash of something in his eye, like a glimmer, where he's like. Have I done this before? Yes he, yes, he does that. And then he says, well, maybe. Yeah. As if he's just like, yeah. Suddenly he's just like, I just remembered. Yeah. Oh, I've I've picked up a purse before. Yeah, it's either a glitch in the Matrix yeah. or, or <laughs> fake's real. Uh, yeah. The only way that it could have been more, you know, hammered on the head is if he had looked at her and said, you? And she had said, you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that's not what they do. She grabs his butt as they walk away. She does grab his butt as they walk away. And Paul says, so tell me, if we're meant to be together, why did you make plans with your sister? Yeah, very fun. Very, very fun. And um, what a satisfying that, half hour of television. That Yeah, that's it for the you meat laugh, of it. You feel yeah. in the tag. We have Paul again telling the T-Rex to sit. Uh, yeah. And he does that a few times. And then the last time he says sit. And the head drops about eight feet. Yeah. And he and Paul go, or uh, Paul and Jamie go running out of the room. I feel like there's no way that wasn't staged. Oh, no, absolutely. That was a, yes. That but was it's a plan. so convincing that it almost looks like an accident. Yeah, it was very good. It was I very mean, well done. The way done. they freak out, and I'm sure it's yes. just freaky, even though when you know it's coming for it to actually do yes. that. Yes. But still. Ugh. Well, here's a, yeah, you know it has to be, they're clearly acting and it had to be planned because they ran out of the room. Whereas if that would actually happen, they just put their hands over their mouths and be terrified and get out of the way, try to get out of the way of the falling. Yeah, bones. maybe by running out of the room. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. I don't think so. Oh my goodness. 
I like this one uh, an awful, awful lot. Oh, this me too. And it's one of those ones I remember a little. You yeah, know? I. It's a classic. I didn't. I didn't remember it, but I. I don't think I'll forget this one. This one was really. Uh, this one was great. It's. I mean, to quote your mother, mm -hmm. that was a good show. <laughs> it's a very good impression. Like it really was. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I very love satisfying. Steve Pamer's writing. He's great. It's the perfect mix of every. It's the perfect mix of like. Nora Ephron and like Fiveish Finkel or whatever. I don't know. Pick <laughs> pick pick your Yiddish uh, cabaret uh, personality. It reminds me of the. I'm now I'm doing an old Conan O'Brien if they made it of yeah Nora Ephron and Fiveish Finkel and it's in <laughs> it is intense. I'm Oodle not lolly. even sure. I think that's a real Yiddish cabaret name. <laughs> For those who need something interesting to do in the boring neighborhood called the East Village. <laughs> There is a Yiddish Walk of Fame on 2nd Avenue and 7th Street in front of the Chase oh, Bank. There? Interesting. It's very short, but there's little stars with little names. <laughs> I've never been. Check it, out. check it out. Yeah, you, Russ, go to the museum first. Uh, yes. Because that is I the will. wire of sites in New York. <laughs> I will. Oh, gosh. John, anything fun to report? Oh, to plug? Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Me neither, baby. Wow. Oh, everyone, I saw Russ. Finally, oh, yeah. I saw one of his shows. Yeah, you got to see the sequel. And I got to say, eh, not bad. Well, that's sweet. I'm Thank just you. kidding. It was great. Everyone should go see it. It's a very fun night. Oh, thanks. They did the yeah, sequel to got... Groundhog's Day, which I could be frank. Please. Not the sequel I wanted to see at all. <laughs> Nobody wanted to see that sequel. No, that's fair. Uh, it was very. But you know what? Everyone shouts out a suggestion to a sequel they want to see, and they do a sequel to a musical, and. You know, sometimes you get slim pickings. What uh, what show did you want to see? I didn't care, but something just not no, just like a classic kind of musical. You know, sure, not not like a new reboot of a movie that was contemporary, right? You know, like an old one. Yeah, like my I girlfriend wanted cabaret. I would have taken. I would have taken any old classic. You know, right? My fair lady, right, right, right. Annie, get your it's, gun. You know, I don't know. We we've practiced doing Little Shop of Horrors, and that is always fun because I always insist that I wind up playing the plant. Ah, and I can see that. We have that it's, rich baritone. It's kind of the best. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Also, guys, Russ has a very good voice. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, everyone should go very see the sweet. sequel, whatever it is. Fridays. It's, it's uh yeah, the first, generally speaking, it's the first Friday of the month uh, at the Magna Theater, 11 p.m. I can't, Come I have can't fun at night. speak to the squash, so uh, I'm not going to plug it. <laughs> It's a great plan. If you want to see Squash, you better get in there quick. We got two more shows. Oh, baby. I'll, I'll never see it. It's not going to happen. Ooh, never <laughs> never going to happen, gonna happen my friend. with that. <laughs> All right. Oh, gosh. Um, rise, guys. Rise, gals. Hunters, huntresses. Kind folk. Uh, Y'all are Leela the best. Leela Kinsmen and women. <laughs> They're Leela Kinsmen and women. This is great. This is like our, this is our long list of WTFers. I can't, oh, I just tripped over right. that very deeply. WTFers. Yeah. Yeah. WTFers. WTFers. <laughs> great. Oh gosh. So here's the deal. Our theme music is by John D. Ivy. It is wonderful. Thank you, sir. Nathan Diffie made our logo. Nathan Diffie spelled N-A-T-H-A-N-D-I-F-F-E-E. -F -F -E. He's on Twitter. He's a gem of a guy. Thanks, Nathan. Vuk Yovanovich, our sound mixer. Yovanovich is spelled J-O-V-A-N-O-V-I-C, I believe. Don't know if he's on Twitter, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> thank you, sir. Oh gosh. Great, great, oh, great. Oh, wait. Oh, Russ, we got to get better at this. Please. Guys, 
We love interacting right. with you online. Please yeah. uh, tweet at us at Mad About You Pod. Find us on Facebook at Mad About You Pod or under Mad About Mad About You. Uh, email us if you want. We love getting. We've gotten a few emails from people. We love them. Mad About You Pod at gmail.com. You can listen to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all, all just all of them. And if you can't find us somewhere, tell us, and we'll we'll go there. Like McDonald's or Starbucks. Uh, also, <laughs> rate and review yeah, us wherever you rate and review things. Yeah, please. The reviews help get the word out and uh, tell your friends also. Word of mouth. You know, you know, nothing helps podcasts like good word of mouth. You're absolutely right. And if you hate Fantastic. us, stop listening and don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Set? Yeah. Great. Match. Oh, thanks, everybody who listened. You are wonderful. I am Russ Fader. And I'm John Marbley. And... And this is what we're saying. saying.